hey, so I wanted to start. I mean, we've talked a little bit, but just with, with um, any any questions that you guys might have, that way we can maybe make the best of our time and kind of look towards those directions and the questions, and then uh, Vanessa and I can uh, give any kind of impartation that we can um, uh, to you. And so just a bit about us. So Vanessa and I uh, lead a church in Los Angeles, California. It's called Restoration LA. We planted... Restoration about 12 years ago, 12 years ago, officially, and it's been going great. Uh, we've had ups and downs like every other church, but uh, God has been doing some significant things um, through through our local church, and for that we are um, so privileged to be a part of it. Um, yeah, we have six children, so that's uh, that's, a, that's I know it's a big deal for a lot of people. We say six, and you know our kids always get offended because anytime we minister. When people like introduce us, they're like, "Yeah, they have like a thousand kids." <laughs> so, so our kids get mad. They're like, "They're like, you know, like, what's up with them? You know, dogging our, our size of our family." So, um, we we just tell them, "Hey, you know, we're being more um, obedient to the Lord because we're being fruitful and multiplying." So we have a little bit more faith than everyone else. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, adoption has been a, a wonderful experience for us. It's been hard. Um, it's not easy when you add to your family and, and you say yes to uh, to taking on, you know, kind of um, other people's responsibility and you own it as your own. But we've been so blessed and we, we have really understood the kingdom of God uh, probably more because of that decision um, to, to accept um, children that aren't more naturally ours. But accept them as naturally ours and begin to, to love them and lead them and watch what God does to shape their future. That could have been very different if, if, um, if he hadn't aligned everything that he did. So We've been married for 23 years, um, so that's been awesome. We have, our first child is 24. So yeah, our first child is 24, so you guys can give your We had some years of, of disobedience. Um, Vanessa and I both grew up in the church. Um, have very um, hard stories. I mean, um, her family um, story was um, pretty hard. My family story was, was pretty hard. But we hit some some way intersected with Jesus as children in, in the life of the church. And uh, we grew up in denominational church, and so that had some really good benefits where we learned so many foundations. Um, but it also had some hard hard um, things that we had to unlearn as God was was you know teaching us and growing us. And so. Um, we have a lot of experience, and because of that experience, uh, we, we doesn't make us gurus. It just makes us uh, able to probably speak into a lot of different dynamics. And so, uh, we are not professionals in any way, shape, or form in, in regards to this. We just have good experience, and that's probably why we were asked to to host this uh, small um, breakout session. So, um, yeah, we we have a passion for for teens. We've always had a passion for teens. We. When we started the church, we had really no teens. I think our son was about 12 years old, so he was like a tweener. Um, and, and Chloe was probably 10, Zeke was like 8. And uh, we had uh, been doing youth ministry. I had done youth ministry. Youth ministry is my passion, not Vanessa's passion. Her passion is children's ministry. But we knew that God wanted us to build generationally at Restoration LA. And so uh, we took what God had given us, so we had my, my, our son, my niece was with us at the time, her name was Simone, so she was 13, and then we had another teenager, and I, I say he's, 
he was half a teenager because his parents were um, um, divorced, and so he was with his dad every other weekend. So we had him half the time. So we had like two and a half youth when we kind of launched the church. And why I say this is because with that, with two and a half youth, is when we started Rise Up. Um, and if you have heard about Rise Up Youth Ministry and, and, and the youth conference, um, it has been a vehicle that the Lord has given us to really um, grow and, and pour into the next generation and, and watch them just walk into the bigness of God um, at a level that we think it is, is significant. And so, um, so yeah, with our first youth conference was in East LA. I think we had like, I don't know, maybe 20 kids. No air conditioning. With no air conditioning because our old building was just so hot and kids were baking and there's room up here too. Come, <laughs> <laughs> no, please come, come. <laughs> so, so we started. We our, our passion for this youth conference. We started in our little building, no air conditioning. Everyone was all sweating and it was bad. Next year, um, another church joined us, and we kind of doubled in in a year. So we went from like 20 to like 40 kids. Um, and the third year, we had like Westside Church come down from Placerville, California, and they brought this like whole slew of kids, and we went from like 40 to like 80. Um, and the Lord has just been doing that with with um, the ministry of Rise Up in the conference. So, so now we've, you know, it's it's as big as an equip. I mean, it's it's hundreds of kids, and we got kids from you know all over the country, kids who come from all over really the world. Um, and the Lord's done amazing things. He's he's uh, launched Rise Up. Not only here, but in Australia, uh, Canada's um, launching this this year. Right, um, man, we've done right this South Africa, um, New Zealand. It's God has just been doing amazing things with, with young people all over. Um, and it's not doing teenage stuff with teens. It's doing kingdom stuff with God's young younger generation, and it is powerful. So I'll, I'll, you know, kind of plug that a little bit later. Um, but let me start here. Um, at large, the, the church dropout rate in young people accelerates with age. And so you probably heard statistics about that. Like, why do we lose this generation? There's all kinds of cultural reasons why that happens. Um, but at age 17, 69% of teens say, Christian teens say they're still in church. So that's at age 17. Um, at age 18, that falls to 58%. Whoa. At age 19, that, that falls to 40%. And, it, and in their 20s, it, it drops to 1 in 3. So 1 in 3 20-year-olds who have grown up Christian are not in church. So it's, 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 I mean, sorry. Yeah, 1 in 3 are in church. So it's only about 30% of that, that age demographic. Um, that's disheartening. <laughs> and, it's, and it's heartbreaking. And I think it has a, a lot to say, not only about um, the nations, it has a lot to say about the church, and also a lot to say about the breakdown in family, and, and really what is, I believe, first ministry. And we um, believe that what happens in the life of the church when it comes to ministry to children and young adults is in partnership with what is happening at home. And depending on what home they come from, I mean, it, it's a big factor. And in the life of our church, we have kids who, who are the only Christian in their, in their family. We have kids who, who are the only spiritual uh, um, leader. What's that? Leader. leader in the life of their family. We have a young man, his name is Josh. He's such an amazing kid. 
And he, he got saved in our church when he was, I think, four. And so we had this summer program. We used to do summer program, uh, kind of like BBS, but we used like school as a tool for BBS. So they cut all the summer school in our, in our area. So we said, hey, we're going to do summer school. It was crazy. Don't do it. We did six weeks of summer school in, in six weeks. So just think of BBS for six weeks. Oh it, was, it was not, it was like, uh, yeah, we weren't wise. We were young and dumb and had a lot of energy, so we did. Um, and so we did one, one, it was one session of, of English, one session of math, and then Jesus. That's what we did. And so we told the parents, listen, and a lot of the community is Catholic who said, listen, we're not going to, we're not preaching religion, we're preaching Jesus. So if your kids come in here, they're going to get Jesus and some math and some English. And so we went to the local school. We got all the curriculum for grades one through six. We got bridge curriculum. We, we got teachers for every grade. It was, it was insane. Anyways, this young man gets saved during that program, and now he's like 16. Um, and he's, he's a young leader in his family. And his parents were not married. It was him who was going to his parents and saying, you need to get married. And, um, finally, it, it, yeah, it's like, you know, convicting his parents. <laughs> um, so the mom's talking to Vanessa, like, you know, Josh has been telling us we need to get married. And, and so they finally got married. And, and honestly, it's their son. Like, I mean, just, you know, kind of spurring them on to be obedient to Jesus. And this is, this is what we believe. We believe that young people can carry spiritual authority. And obviously that's a little backwards, but... Um, it's, it's, it's that powerful. When we look at, at scripture, if we, if we really study the understanding of the generational kind of gaps within, you know, biblical times, most scholars believe that the, the disciples were from the ages of 17 to 21. This is when you entered, under, uh, this is when you entered into ministry under, underneath a rabbi. Yeah. So that means that these men were unleashed into apostolic ministry from the age of 21 to 25 years old. I mean, those are young men, young men, and watching what Jesus was able to do when we make a significant investment in, into them. So, um, how many of you are here um, because you, you're passionate about kids, like children, like smaller children? Okay. How many of you are here because you're passionate about, about young people, young adults, like you're, you're thinking about that? How many of you are here because you're a parent and you want to know what that looks like? <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So listen, um, I think what we have to um, understand first is bringing up the next generation is our responsibility. It's ours. And so you have to say that for yourself. It's my responsibility. Whether you are a parent or whether you are a leader in the life of the church, it is our responsibility to bring up young people into the life of not just in the church, because there's church culture and there's kingdom culture. Yeah. And we know there's, there's a big difference. And so when, when, when young people get disenfranchised from the church, yeah. we see them fall away from the kingdom. But when they have a passion for the kingdom and they are brought up into this kingdom understanding, the bigness of God, it's not just localized to the church. Um, the church is shifting all the time. I mean, we see you know kids age out. And, 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 and young people are tribal. If they don't have friends and people to run alongside of them, I mean, they, they feel alone. They feel like they're, they're, there's no one running with them. And, um, and so knowing that they're tribal, they, they can very easily feel disconnected when they are not running in a, in a group or, or with, a, with a, a flock around them. And so that's not always, we don't always have the ability to manufacture that. 
And sometimes, and a lot of pastors, kids, especially church planters, they experience that all the time. They go and plant a church, they have their kids with them, they're the only kids in the church. And so until you know God starts adding, or until people start getting reached, you know, the group of kids can be alone for a significant amount of time. So we have to show them something more than just church culture. We have to show them the understanding of the kingdom and the bigness of God. Uh, but that's all of our responsibility. It's our responsibility as parents, it's our responsibility as church leaders to show them what the kingdom looks like. We bring up children and the ways they should go when they get older, they don't depart. That's a promise that God gives to parents, but I believe as spiritual parents in the life of the church, as we read Paul encouraging the church to teach the older men to invest into to younger men and the older women to invest into younger women, we see this kind of parental, spiritual parental guidance that happens throughout the kingdom. So um, Tyron touched on this probably a couple times, but being fruitful and multiplying is a um, mandate for every saint. Yes. It's a mandate for every saint. And what, what that looks like spiritually, uh, we, we see with Adam and Eve, they're to be fruitful and multiply, they're to reproduce themselves. They are created in God's image in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Them being fruitful and multiplying is the same mandate. They wanted, God wanted them to multiply so that their children would um, have that same connection with the Heavenly Father. And we know that that broke down eventually because of sin. And then we see this in the, in the New Testament with the Great Commission. Go into all the world and not just preach the gospel, but make disciples. Make new sons and daughters of God who will come to Jesus and, and be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. Um, there's a couple of things we have to understand. And if you think about investment, how many of you, you guys are probably better at this than I am. How many of you understand kind of um, investments or retirement plans? Any of you have those? You, yeah. Maybe you have it at work and they just do all the work for you. You just know <laughs> the money's there and something's happening. Uh, some of you who are a lot smarter and know how to do all the different nuances and you're seeing probably better return on your money. Um, but th this principle is true in the spirit is you shouldn't expect a return on an, on an investment that you haven't made. And I think we have to understand this about the next generation. If we have not made an investment, then we cannot expect a return. And this is not only in the family, this is also within the life of the church. And I see so many times there's this responsibility placed on someone else where, you know, the, the, the family is responsible. <coughs> holding the church responsible for the level of maturity of the child. And some of you might experience this where people come into your church and they're like, they, oh, we want this and this and this and all this from you as a church, and we want this kind of ministry for our kids. And none of that's happening at home, but they, they want you to you know, do it all at the church. But we can't expect an, uh, a return if we haven't made an investment. Um, those who are faithful with little, we know this in scripture, those who are faithful with little, God will give charge over much. And so I just want you to consider, um, as you're passionate about this area, is what is God giving you charge over? If it's your children, then you, you, need, to, you need to understand the way to that. If, if, it's, if, it's, if it's a children's ministry, or you're a teacher in the children's ministry, or a director of children's ministry, the way to that, and same with youth. Whatever God has given you, God is asking you to make an investment. And, and not, not just tokenism, serious, double-down, investment with whatever God has given you. And um, in, in invest, investing generationally, just like investing you know, in today's market, it's the long game. It's not the short game. 
a lot of times we just, you know, we think we, we start something and we just know it's going to work and then it doesn't and then you get, it gets so discouraged. Like, all right, we're going to stop, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. It's the long game. You have to be invested long term. And so as long as God has, has placed you in a place, we need to invest in the next generation uh, within the home and within the life of the church. Um, question I have uh, for us, and you guys can ask yourself this, is are you willing to fight for victories that you will never see? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to fight for victories that you will never see? That's important. It's important for us to understand that when we look at that uh, Hebrews 11 chapter, the great hall of faith, that in faith they did all of these things, never knowing whether they or not they were going to see those promises happen. Are we willing to make that kind of investment, knowing that we might not ever see the victory, or, or knowing that we might not ever see the benefit? I, I think about my daughters probably be more in particular, um, because um, I'm eventually going to give them to another man I'm, I'm, uh, to, to to lead and to love. And so I am I'm loving these girls and I'm bringing up these girls so that someone else gets the benefit. And that sucks. Uh, but it's the same with with raising people in the life of the church it's the same with this next generation we have to understand that we are raising them for something far greater than our own benefit and they're going to go further and deeper and wider and we have to trust that Um, a lot of times we we only want to invest on something that we're going to get the benefit from and we have to snap that mentality when it comes to the next generation even bringing through christians a lot of times, we, you know, even in the life of the church, the pressure for pastors and for leaders is, I am growing this person for the benefit of the ministry that takes place here. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand the kingdom is far greater than that. Yeah, it's far greater than that. One of the, one of the, um, the prayers of my heart is for, for my children is that they would experience someone else's leadership. Because I, I think that's important for many reasons. Because, uh, you know, them being underneath me as a dad and Vanessa as a mom and our ministry, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, kind of, Narrow in scope for them because they know us. They're so familiar. We're their mom and dad. We're never going to not be that for them. But for them to never experience another person's leadership and never know, you know, kind of the vastness of, of expressions of gifts and leader, I think it's important for us to understand that, man, we eventually have to even release them to be mature and, and poured into by others. And so um, Tyron has, has said this, and I, I like it a lot, so I'll use it. Uh, if you want to build for the future, you must build with the future. We have to build with the future. If we think that, that these kids are just going to get it, these young people are just going to get it, just by being around us, I mean, osmosis, you know, they, they catch it. But man, they're, they're never going to be fluent in it unless they're able to, to experience it alongside of us. And this generation, especially now, I'm talking about the, the, probably the... Um, I don't even know what generation it is now. Is it, is it Zed? But I mean, Alpha. I mean, Alpha. Alpha. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I've already missed This next generation, they experience God the most through tangibility. They want to do the work. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. They want to do it. So, so we see this expression of, of when we were growing up in church, it was like you're better seen and not heard. Right? So we got to watch it all happen, right? We got to you know, see it and observe it. And we would memorize Bible verses and sing the songs. But we, I mean, we were always like, you just need to be quiet and stay there. So and most of us, if we went to church when we were kids, 
grow up sleeping under pews and let the big let the big folks do their job. Um, and and then there's uh, my generation who started asking the big questions like why? Yeah. Why are we doing that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So why are we doing that? Why aren't aren't we able to do that? Why are you only able to do that? And so we started stepping into that. And so this generation now is coming up, and they don't want to ask the big questions. They want to do the big things. Yeah. They want to be a part of what God is doing. And so um, in order to do this, we need a revelation. Um, and I know that word's been thrown around a lot this week, but what is God revealing to his church and showing these young people that they want to be a part of? They want to be a part of reaching this globe. They want to be a part of seeing cities and schools come to Jesus. They, and so we have to be very clear about what God is showing and revealing. And so for, to, in order to bring this, this next generation through, if we're going to build with them, we have to be able to show them. right? We have to be able to show, hey, this is what God is saying. This is what God is revealing. And then we got to be willing to put resources to that. We have to be willing to put money to that Good. as churches. Uh, we have to be willing to uh, put energy Right, our time, our investment, uh, and then eventually we're going to need to risk because we can't just show them and say, "Hey, look, that's what it looks like," and but you can't touch it. Right, we're going to have to be able to risk and, and, and release and show them, "Hey, this is this is um, tangible for you." Right, and so um, yeah, let me do a pause real quick. Anybody have any questions up to this point about anything that I've said? Am I going in a straight line still? I just want to make sure I'm not going all over the place. Awesome. You guys cool? Yeah. Okay. If you have anything just yet? Oh, I was going to actually want to do my part. Yeah, why don't you come on up? Okay. Uh, I think one of the cool things that Vanessa and I have seen is, again, a correlation between family and church and how we bring up this next generation. And we are not gurus. We have made a million mistakes. But um, the Lord speaks to Vanessa prophetically and through images and her, her mind just works. Uh, mine's linear, and, and hers works like, you know, probably like Eminem wraps. <laughs> okay. so it's kind of, go for it. Really fast. Sorry, guys. Um, I apologize ahead of time. This is what the word gave me for everyone here today. So you see, if there was a Mary here, and there was the, the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, and the family of Christ, meaning our family, our Jody and myself, we made a family, it would be, it would be the same thing. It would be the mirror image. So one reflects the other. There's really no difference, okay? And I know this kind of weird to think that um, that they can be the same, but they are because in the scriptures it talks about um, in Ephesians five, I believe it's Christ the head of the church, right? And we're the body, okay? But in the household, the husband is the head of the wife, right? And then there's the body, and they are working in the body. Okay? I know it's kind of. I, I wish I would have had a whiteboard. You guys would be able to see that. So there's order both in the home and in the church. Same. Same order. Maybe in the home, you see the crown on top of the heads here. There's Jesus in the head, but he's, he's king. And the husband's the head, but Jesus is still king. Okay? Everything flows under the rulership and the reign of Jesus Christ, both in the church and in the home. There's no difference. And there's order. Now, I know there's single moms and there's single dads, so there might not be the, the um, practical order in the home, okay? But Christ can still be the head of the family. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to get their need from Christ and the Father once they're connected. Okay, yeah. So both both the church, the bride of Christ, 
and the, and the family of God in the house is the same thing. There's no difference. So we both are under the rulership of Christ. We both function in the Holy Spirit's power. Just because you go to church doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leaves once you get home. He's still working in the house. Okay? He's still working in your relationship. He's still working in your personal time with him. He's still working in your children. Your children actually have gifts. The sooner we recognize the gifts in the children, the better we're able to cultivate something around them when they to grow and grow into maturity inside your house, not just in the church. So they're not only working in their own giftings with the Holy Spirit power in the church, but they're going to be working in the power of the Holy Spirit in your house, too. There's really no disconnect. There's really no disconnect. So that's where I get my functioning in my life role as being equal to the rest of the body in the church and still equal it says in scripture we're the same god loves both men and women but my husband i sub- i submit myself to my husband and we're all submitted to the authority of christ in our household there's no difference okay i wanted to just share that with you find that in ephesians 6 um ephesians 5 and 6 you guys can do the homework i don't have time to do the homework so here's the correlation between both okay in the church there's a connection to the father and there's an attachment to the bride in the home, there's a connection to the father, and there's an attachment to the bride. Okay? You're going to teach your children, you're going to teach the people to hear God's voice once they're connected to the father. In the church, they're going to hear God's voice, and they're going to obey God's voice. In the home, you're going to teach them to hear God's voice, and to obey God's voice, just like they would a father and a mother. They're going to hear the mom, they're going to hear the dad, and they're going to obey both. There's no difference. <coughs> okay? So you're going to cultivate a place, we just talked about that, where, where gifts can grow. Now, here's the deal with moms and dads in the family, okay? And in the church, you can use both. I'm going to give you both pictures. When you're talking about giving to the next generation, you're actually participating in sowing seeds into the next generation. For instance, I come from a family that was religious. They went to church on Sunday, and they came home, and there was was chaos, okay? Now, I never got the tool that I needed to connect to the father. I didn't have a loving father. So, for instance, you had a loving father in your home, then you're gonna you're gonna look at Jesus or you look at God and say, Oh, I can sense, I can feel, I can tangibly, tangibly feel the loving touch of the father. I never had that. I had an abusive father. And so I was detached from my father. Okay. It wasn't until my 30s where God says, I am your father and I am your mother. Which this means this. You're gonna get what you need from God no matter what. He's gonna be your source both in the house and in the church. That's how we function. But as women and men in the church, if you want to reproduce, you're going to be sowing seeds of prayer first. Prayer to the next generation. Now, I'm going to give you a personal story. My mom, uh, my mom and dad, of course, are two separate people, but um, we have two separate families. And my mom's in the family, there's a lot of depression, a lot of suicide. And so I come from a place of hardships. My, my mom came out of a place of just hardship, and she's still battling some things. My father, though, on the other hand, when I did the research, came from a hard place as well, but there was one woman in his in his life before him, in the generation before him, that prayed into his life. Okay. He's there's five boys in my in my father's family, he's a, he's the eldest. And he would go to his grandmother's house and they would call her the Hallelujah. This is in Mexico. She's a hallelujah because everyone else around her was Catholic. And she's the only one that was filled with the Holy Spirit and she knew that she had to give Jesus to the next generation. That was the only thing that she can give and she can leave, she was poor. She, the only thing she can leave behind was Christ himself, was, was a legacy of knowing Jesus and the legacy of knowing the Holy Spirit, and the generations after would follow in her footsteps. Just one woman 
Yeah. One woman filled with the Holy Spirit. My father would go to her house and she would lay hands on him and she would speak in tongues. Her and her sister, they would speak in tongues. My father would wake up like, ah, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Just go to bed and go to sleep. I'm just praying. My father, out of the five brothers, she's the only one that got saved. The rest of the family were in our family, they're all Catholics, and we're the only ones that are Christian. Now you wonder why. Oh, well, you know, no, I believe God. She knew. I believe God can give her visions of the generations. Sure. Just like He's giving me visions of the next generations of their children and their children's children and their children's children. And in the church, for mother and her father, this generation, they're going to give birth to the next generation, the next generation. Like, your words in God matter. Yes. When you pray, your words matter. That's right. And when you say to the fifth generation, yeah. in the name of Jesus, God hears you and he goes. He yeah. goes through it's like he's released into the generations after you don't even see them yet. Yeah. It's amazing to me that Christ, God said in scripture, or the scripture saying that he knew us even before we were born. What does that mean? When he's already thinking about us and contemplating us and yeah. speaking about us before we were born. Before we were born. Sorry, I'm not on a bit Okay, so he speaks. And what happens? He produces. When he speaks in the church, she reproduces. She reproduces. She gets pregnant. Okay. The natural form of the family, natural form of the church is when God speaks, he produces. We are the carrier of his dream and his vision for the future generations. We kept us now in this room as a bride of Christ. We are carriers of God's dreams and vision for the future. This is something we got to take seriously because it, it manifests itself inside the family. Yeah. Okay, so again, praying and, pr- and praying to the generation, raising up in maturity. If you think about uh, the process of the, of the body of Christ maturing, you think like it's a little girl that she grows up to have uh, parts that are able to help reproduce and help nurture. Okay, I know we're gonna we're, I'm talking to the maturity group here. You guys are very mature, but as as the body of Christ, we do that. We nurture and care for those who just come out of us, right? The babies that are just coming in, we nurture and care. They're on us more often than the other ones. And then they begin to grow. They become taller and they grow into the place of maturity. Puberty hits, bam. Okay, stuff starts to change. Hair grows in certain places. And now they're able to reproduce themselves. This is a natural way. God is showing us the family and the church are, it's like a mirror image. They work hand in hand. We are, we are meant to help. Raise up children and then send them off so that they can reproduce. Yeah. Church planting, reproducing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. New people coming into the family, adoption, like Jody mentioned. For a family adopt, there's no difference. Yeah. So I didn't even see what they're Oh, pain and reproduction. Sacrifice pain. If you're reproducing, ladies and gentlemen, it's gonna hurt. And we can ask God for the epidural, like, oh no, no, we're going to do the natural epidural for you. <laughs> because there's growth for us, maturity for us in the place of, it's showing God's glory in our life when we're able to push out in pain what He wants us to take joy in. We don't have to unless there's pain. Sorry to say that. You women would know that part of this. Yeah, and it hurts. <laughs> and you know, I'm thinking, gosh, the Holy Spirit's probably sitting over here eating ice chips. When I was in labor with uh, with, McK- with Chloe, the second one, um, he just sat there eating ice chips. Like, <laughs> Christ is not eating ice chips. Christ is coaching us. He's <laughs> He's saying, "Come on, you can do it. Come on, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna birth this." And it could be rise up. It could be your child, your little 
a ministry. It could be an, an open door in Mexico or in Guadalajara, Mexico. And, you know, just these things of, of the newness of God, the fruitfulness of God. There's going to be pain, okay? But there's joy in growth. That's right. There's always joy in growth. But when I think about my three kids that I adopted, they come out of trouble just like me. And oftentimes, the Lord says, open us just like you. Like they want to love them, but they push you away. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord, that must be hard for you when it comes to me wanting to come to you, but I'm running away because, you know, I don't know what that feels like to be like. I'm still learning that, right? So there's this connection and correlation of, of being a child of God and needing to connect to the Father. But still, like, there's a, there's a revelation, a revelation that we need God just like our children need us, okay? So there's connection to the Father and the Mother. And here's some practical things. Um, connection to the mother and father in the body of Christ means what? Alone time with God, right? Alone time, even with the fathers in the church. Pastors, okay? Getting one-on-one -on -one time when we need it from our leaders in our church. And if you're a leader here, we need to start giving one-on-one -on -one time to the people in our church. They need it. They need to know that they are loving and they're wanted individually. Now, women on women, yes. Men on men, yes. It could be couples on couples. Never mind, we have all the, we call that. And you've been properly how to behave. Ethics. Okay? All the ethics guidelines, you don't want to get in trouble. But people in our in our churches need one-on-one -on -one time with us. Okay? Now we know, I know that I can't reach 120 people. Like we can't reach them. But what we do is we reach the leaders around us and they reach them. And the next the next chair reaches the people and everyone's being touched one-on-one -on -one somehow. They're being loved one-on-one. -on -one. Same thing with the house. Our children, we have six of them. Every one of them needs one-on-one time. Why? Because they have to know that they can gain access to the Father one-on-one. -on -one. That they can go into their private places and go into their secret space with God and have to teach them what it looks like to have one-on-one -on -one time with their Father and with their mother. Okay? Time together as a bride. We get together on Sunday morning. We get together on Wednesday night. We get together whenever we can. Okay? These are things that matter to the people. We need to know that we're part of the bigger, the bigger place, the bigger picture. And as a bride of Christ, we have to nurture care for, guide, direct, like lead. So when we come into the body of Christ, we're getting all those things met. We're getting all of our human needs met. It's kind of crazy how that works. Number, uh, I don't know, we're not numbering anything, okay. <laughs> work and rest, work and rest, okay? We need to learn how to do both, work and rest. Probably more work than rest, because you think you only have one Sabbath out of seven days, seven days of Sabbath, we're gonna work more than we're gonna rest, and we're still gonna get that rest. You teach that to your children. Mom and dad are a little burned out. We're going to go on a, you know, go a mini-vacation. You guys want to come? Yes, let's go. Hey, we're going to go to Disney. We're going to have fun. We're going to laugh. We're going to eat some crazy food. And, and so you work rest in your life at home with the kids, and you work rest when you're in the church. Okay. After the Sabbath, I give you permission. Take a nap. Call a Sunday nap in our house. Sunday quiet time. When we're done working, we go home and we're resting. So you're going to work and you're going to rest together. The Lord is talking about the Sabbath. He's highlighting it in this season. You, if you're going to go farther, then you need to take these, these little breaks of rest in order for you guys to gain momentum. Um, and you want to enjoy each other. So here's some practical things for our family in home. Okay, one-on-one -on -one time with mom and dad. And number two, family dinner. Sit at the table as much as possible. Make that a habit. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing, the last thing I'll share with you is family night. Like maybe you could one night a week, if you're really busy with school and chores and uh, sports, maybe twice a month. 
but, but prioritize the family night where you actually get to exhale and just enjoy this company. Okay? You guys can bake bread during winter time and head to the park during summertime. Doesn't really matter, but just who are we without the pressures of life? Yeah, that our children need to learn that, especially if you're planning churches. Yeah. Your children need to know that they are important to you, it's not just the call and not just the work. Okay, they need to know they're they're individually important. If you want your kids to stay with God and walk with God, they need to know that they're an important part of the family mm-hmm. and that they're worth they're worth giving them rest and worth giving them the good times. That's right. I think that's all I have, babe. Okay. Cool. What number is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was number Jesus. Um Okay, so I, I, I love that picture of family and the church and the process of bringing through young Christians in age, young Christian and spiritual, because we get some young Christians that are, you know, 40s and 50s, and so there's, it's that same thing. We have to teach them how to grow into maturity. And so this is how we're going to release people into loving Jesus more and to love his church. Show them how to love family. Show them what it looks like to be connected and to be relational. Uh, I grew up in church when church was everything was in a box and everything was very linear and there was no real connection. And we need to show them what it looks like. Price and privilege. And it has to be fun involved. I mean, not, I don't believe in bubblegum youth groups and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is you just give them pizza and a movie and all that. that that's, not, that's not showing them the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I, I preached a sermon uh, in South Africa a few years back about that, that feast that we invite people to. And that's young and old. There was no kids' table at that feast. Mm-hmm. We invite them. And, and, and when, when people didn't want to come to that feast, the master didn't say, oh, something must be wrong with the menu. Let's change it. I mean, we got, you know, vegetables and greens and all this stuff healthy for you. Let's change that. Let's clear that out. Let's put some pizza and get an ice cream machine and let's change it so it's palatable. No, he didn't change the menu. Right? He said, go, take the invitation further. And we need to know that. We, we, we don't dumb down the feast and the table that we're inviting them to. Right? We, 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 we are not just inviting them to an experience. We are inviting them to family, to this fellowship that God is calling us into. And so we have to do the prophetic things prophetically. What, is that? what does that mean? Uh, it means we, as we see what God is doing, this is how we lead them. We, we lead them in, in whatever spiritual age or natural age they are as if we know where they're going. And so if, if, if God gave you a picture of, hey, you know, this kid's going to be a doctor, then you're going to do everything you can to feed into that thing that God is calling out. Now, what does that look like as we're raising people? I mean, Vanessa and I used to do these devotions. It's pretty crazy with the kids when our first three. So we do family devotions. And so we would have Ezekiel pray because he prayed with all this little passion. Um, and we had Jordan teach because he's a little older, more intellectual, and good teacher, still a good teacher. And then Chloe would lead worship. Chloe's a worship leader, Jordan's a teacher, and Ezekiel's extremely prophetic now. These guys are all in their 20s. I mean, it's doing the prophetic things, prophetic things. There were little kids doing this in, in, our, in our room, and, and but you call those things out. And begin to walk that out. We do that in ministry. If God is showing you something in a young person in a life of your church, man, call that thing out. Call it out. Give, give them. I mean, I mean, sometimes, I mean, a lot of times, because they don't feel like they have permission, you need to show them that they have permission. 
Mm-hmm. I, you, know, you need to ask. I mean, we have tons of prophetic young people in the life of our church. And they're saying, what is God saying? And they're like, God, no, I know God's saying something, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me what he's saying. Because you can see it in their eyes. You can see it as they lean in. And this is what I love about Rise Up is they know they have permission. Anytime we have Rise Up Youth Conference, these guys are preaching, they're ministering, they're leading worship, they're prophesying. They're, I mean, it, it's, they know they have God's permission, but they need to know that in the local church. They need to know that at home, that they have God's permission. And so um, when we do things prophetically, we need to know what is God showing us. And so we have to call that out. As we are praying for, the, for those who have God who, who's put in our charge or in our care, be praying. What is God calling out of them? And then just begin to cultivate that. Begin to cultivate it. Give them opportunity, right? Uh, so what is he saying about our children? What is he saying about the next generation? Uh, and I think sometimes even when we, when we think about culture, sometimes we're, we're so domestic in, in our mentality or domestically minded that we neglect the eternal matters. And we can even do that in our homes. I mean, I remember early on I put some stuff on my kids like, hey, you're going to go to college. Like, you're good, like, there's no if, ands, or buts. Not, that wasn't prayerful, it was cultural, right? For Hispanics to be educated, they have way more opportunities. I mean, there's just cultural stuff that I put on my kids. And, and honestly, like, they're, my kids are smart kids, but college hasn't shaped out to be their thing. <laughs> Jesus has. Yeah. Like, Jesus has. Jesus has been their thing. And, and, and so to, to, you know, force them into a lane that God had never called them to. We really have to pray about those things. Are we more domestic-minded than we are spiritual-minded when it comes to the things of our kids? Even behavioral stuff. You know, we're just like calling out behavior, calling out behavior, and we're not really focused on, like, kind of the... the, the, um, Tending to them, the love, the care, and even recognizing, like, why do they act like that? Maybe it's, like, actually a good thing, right? Uh, um, Kevin Booth, we were at Turning Point, and Kevin Booth used to remind me about Ezekiel all the time because Ezekiel used to just drive us crazy, kind of like Ray does for us now. Um, and he would be bouncing off the walls, and, and, and Kevin would just be like, hey, dude, that's all fire, and you need to learn how to channel it. You need to coach him and learn to teach him how to channel it because, man, he's good. And the kid's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's not a kid, he's an adult, so he's here. Um, um, so we, we mature kids um, to be culturally relevant but at the expense of the kingdom and I think we need to um, shift that thinking um, when it comes to the home and in the life of the church so in doing the prophetic things prophetically start now like when do you start start now Okay. Um, if you're if you're working in children's ministry, start now. Start with the kids. I mean, they hear, teach them to hear God's voice. I mean, the, the the crazy thing about us is we have taught our kids to hear God's voice, and then we remind, what did God say? What did God say? And they're they're like, well, I don't know if I heard right. We're not going to correct what you feel God has said. Like we and we make them stick to the things that they believe God has heard. And you know, sometimes they've been mistakes, and sometimes they haven't heard right. And some as parents, it's the hardest thing to do is to correct them and realign them. But we're teaching them to hear God's voice and know when they make mistakes and to be um, accountable for the things that they're mishearing or misunderstanding. Just so they can, I mean, because when you start here, then they become more fluent in hearing God's voice here. And that's with, that's with Christian maturity and that's with bringing up young people in the life of the church. Um, start now. Call it out. Pray. Okay. Sow in prayer. 
Sow and pray for the young people that you're leading. Pray for your kids. I mean, call out the things that God is saying. Give them roles and responsibility. Show them. Like, show them how to do something. Take them alongside of you. Let them do it with you. Show them what it looks like to prep for a sermon. Show it what it looks like. Uh, do it in your home. Do it in, in kids' class. I mean, have junior helpers who teach them how to be senior helpers. I mean, whatever it takes, build all of this into the culture of the church and in the life of the home. Very good. Um, correct prophetically. I mean, hey, you thought God said this. As we look at it now, maybe he didn't say that. How could we have done something different? You know, so, you're, so you're not, you're not, you know, just correcting. You heard God wrong. You know, what's wrong with you? Um, but correct prophetically. Show them, hey, how to how to make the adjustments. Maybe they heard wrong. We adults hear it wrong all the time. Yeah. We make mistakes all the time. Teach them how to make those adjustments. And then remind and encourage. What I mean by that? Remind them what God has said. Yeah. Remind them of what God said. Remind them what God has spoken over them. When you're doing teen ministry, I mean. Teens today, they're getting into some serious stuff. And it's hard. And you're hearing some of the things, you've got to remind them who God has called them to be. I mean, sometimes we want to, you know, just want to get some of these guys and just like, what's wrong with you, you know? But we, we, can't, we can't react. We have to prophetically respond to what God has said. This is what God has said about your life. And you're not living according to that. How do you get back to that? Remind people prophetically. Remember the promises. Jesus says, if you raise a child in the ways he he should go. When he gets older, he won't depart. Those statistics that we read, I mean, they're staggering. That they fall away. Why is that? But again, this is the long game. Right? This is the long game. And so I believe spiritually as well, we have to continue and continue and continue to remind our, to raise children in the ways they should go. Um, purpose, speak destiny, and call things out of them. Not just expect things from them. Call things out of them. Speak destiny. What is God showing you? Speak it over them. Ask them what God is showing them. Remind them what God is saying. Uh, we do this with careers all the time. Like, what do you want to be? You know? uh, I remember, uh, my, my son, he was in kindergarten, Judah. Uh, he's our, our youngest boy. We were like career day for school or something like that. And all he kept telling us is he wanted to be a maker. And I'm like, what's a maker? <laughs> he was a baker. But he's, he calls it a maker. And so I thought, all right, cool, he wants to be a baker. We'll see how this goes. You know? So he's supposed to go up and say, hey, I want to be a baker. And every kid got up and got to say what they want to be. And then he was so swayed by what everyone else is doing. He gets up there and he goes, I want to be a fireman. I'm like, <laughs> what happened to you? We were like all into the baker stuff. We were like all encouraging you with the ingredients and all this stuff. You got swayed. But honestly, like the kids get swayed by by culture. And we have to call out the things that God is saying. And we've got to remind them what God has said. And, and even, you know, hey, this is what God said you're going to do, but encourage them in that way. Call it out. And then there's a process, and I'll add with this. Um, Jesus was amazing at developing leaders and raising disciples. Yeah. He was the master. Yeah. And Jesus had a, had a method. And I'm not asking us to, you know, kind of, you know, make sure we, but listen, Jesus taught, instructed with truth, right? He had foundations of truth that he would just give them to tell your kids the truth. Don't water it down. Don't, don't, you know, dumb it down. I mean, kids today, 
They need to be told the truth more than ever before. Good. Teach them with the truth. I mean, our kids are, are driving around and asking us about the rainbow flags, and, and we have to tell them the truth about the cultural fights and all those other things. I mean, we're, it, 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 again, it's not whatever. You guys get, get what I mean. We have to tell them the truth. Don't hold things back. I mean, we tell them the truth. And we've talked to them about sex and all that stuff early because if we're not doing it, someone else is. But we need to teach them. We need to teach them with, with the truth of the Word of God. So same that we do with, with every Christian that we're bringing through. We teach them. Tell them the truth. Don't hold back from telling them the full, uh, on the fullness of God's truth. And then secondly, is we model. We have to model it. If we can't model it, and honestly, friends, we, we, um, we're setting them up for failure. They have to be able to see it. I mean, this is what a lot of, a lot of um, young people struggle with in, in a Christian home. Is they don't see their parents model it. And church is trying to call something out in them that they have not seen. But even as leaders, we, we can't just preach it. We have to demonstrate. And Jesus did this beautifully, right? He would preach it, and then he would go and demonstrate it. And he would talk about the kingdom of God, and he would talk about well, all, all the things. And he would demonstrate with the Holy Spirit's power and authority. And he would, you know, feed the masses, and he would uh, raise the dead. And he would do all these amazing things. And then he did something that, that I think um, we don't do often. He released them to do the same. He released them to do the same. And so he taught it, he demonstrated it, and then he released them to do the same. And that takes risk. Yeah. It takes risk. And I'm telling you, there's been far too many generations who have not been released. And so they, they, they grew up feeling like they can take on the world, you can be anything you want, and we're, we're giving them this message in the church too. You can do anything you want in the kingdom, but they're never released to do it right. because they're not old enough or they're not ready. And Jesus did this. He released them. And they even made mistakes. If you remember, the disciples went out and they came back to Jesus and they're like, oh, Jesus, you know, we cast out demons and we were, we were doing everything you were doing. We were doing it. And he's like, hey, don't rejoice that you can cast out demons, right? Rejoice that your name is written in the last book of life. But what he was, he was demonstrating, they were walking in that. And so then they made mistakes. I mean, they're trying to cast out demons. Some of them couldn't even do it. And he's like, hey, you didn't know you had to fast and pray for that kind of <laughs> I mean, but just, it, it, we have to release. So teach, model, and release. Yeah. And that, that release absolutely takes some risk. Um, we need to risk more. This generation is worth it. This, our kids are worth it. Someone risk, risk on me. Someone risks on you. Someone gave you a trust. Steward, God has given you a trust to steward. And what, what a privilege. And we, we, we're privileged to leave restoration in Los Angeles in this season. And we're privileged to minister outside of our context. And sometimes we're just like not even knowing like, what the heck. Like, how would God ever trust someone like us? But he, he has. And so we have to steward that to the best of our ability. You who have children, God has given you a trust. That's right. You who are involved in the life of your church, it's children's ministry or youth ministry or young adult ministry, God has given you a trust. Steward it well. Raise these spiritual children that God has given you charge over. Not, not charge as if like in charge, but charge over a responsibility as if they're yours. But they belong to the chief shepherd. But we carry that, that, that ownership, not that we own it, but ownership like, hey, it's a huge responsibility. And that's what I want to leave with you. And so, um, 
I can open up for a few moments of questions if anyone has questions, but um, we're just, yeah, we started 10 minutes past, so officially I have eight minutes, but if you're, you need to go, that's totally cool as well. Um, so, hey, anyone have any quick questions that Vanessa or I can answer to the best of our ability? I think I have something I want to say about uh, kids who discern. Kids who discern, yeah, sure. Um, sometimes we have these little kids who are a little frantic, or like they, they're maybe shy in crowds, or maybe they have dreams, and they don't know where they come from. I think with the, with the gift of discernment, we have to be able to say, ask questions like, oh, well, what do you, what do you sense or what do you feel? Do yeah. you feel something? Sure. What is it? What do you think it is? Okay. Yeah. So I, am a, I have discernment. I've had it since I was a child, and I just remember it being like, shh, don't, shh, be quiet, shh, stop crying. Of course, it's not like that in this culture, I'm, I'm sure. But with the gift of discernment, it kind of looks funky. Kind of like a child who like bucks the system, and you're wondering, just follow with everyone else in line. Come on, like we're one team. Come on, and the kid's like, no, no. Ask questions like, what do you sense? What do you feel? What do you think that dream was about? Why do you think you had that dream? You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, with, I think sometimes we get the bad rap, mm -hmm. and I just want to say, I'm sure some of us in this room have children's discernment. It's a great gift. The second part about discernment is they see both the good and the bad. And they don't know how to shift, they don't know how to work through that. So as parents and as moms and dads, good questions to ask are what do you what do you sense? What do you feel? Oh, I didn't know, I didn't feel that, but I'm gonna look out and I'm gonna watch out for that. But you're safe with me. It's reassuring them that they're gonna be safe no matter what, but that they may see things. God may reveal things to them at an early age, which is very scary for little children. That's maybe a future prophet. Who knows, right? So just just be aware of those things. Like um, hard kids aren't always hard kids. Like they probably maybe sense and feel more than the average of the typical And that's cultivating those gifts early in there. Chuck, I was gonna ask yeah. about that. Um, how would you sense? I guess maybe uh, how how kids have gifts. I mean, how do you look for that? Sure. I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's like anything that we do, it's relational, it's time spent, yeah. it's recognition, yeah. um, it's being in partnership. If we're ministers, and, and it's being in partnership with their, with their parents, uh, but if we're parents, obviously it's, it's knowing our kids and, and being able to, to recognize those things. And, and, you know, you don't want to give kids, you know, spiritual gifts tests, and, right. you know, because then at seven, you know, they're told they got a gift and then that's right. the gift they run with and think they have, or even like, Enneagram and stuff like that to teach them personality. You don't want to do it early because I mean, they, they, then they think, hey, okay, I'm, a, I'm a five. So then, then they pretend that I mean, that shapes them. You know, we want to allow the Holy Spirit to shape uh, who they are, but we do want to cultivate and call out. So uh, what Vanessa said is ask questions. Uh, we we learn to ask questions, and then through a pattern, we're able to see. Oh, okay. And so for us, I mean, like Mackenzie, she's a dreamer, and so we're beginning to chart that. You know, kind of. Not on paper, but we're trying in our hearts, in our hearts and, and knowing, okay, she's a dream, and she, she dreams very powerful things. And so we're like, okay. And she's often scared. She's often scared about dreaming, and so I have to say, oh, that doesn't really mean that. Sure. I think this means this instead. Yeah. So you teach them. So, like, Jordan's a teacher. How do you know that? Because he memorized everything. Yeah. He would fall asleep with the Bible on his head. Like, yeah. and you know, Chloe was, she's always singing. Chloe sang all the time. Of course, she's worshiping with the Lord. The whole family would be like, shut up. And I would have to tell my boys, don't you dare, because they would get angry with it. You're always singing, and I would, I would have to, no, don't you dare, like, um, diminish that that gift to them. There was 
they'll be all irritated with it. I'm like, oh, you let your sister sing. Yeah. Like, you don't like it, you go outside. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, uh, if one was singing to the Lord, you, you could not tell her to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. She was singing something else that was annoying, you can tell her, hey, can you voice down? But if she was worshiping the Lord, the boys knew you may not tell her to be quiet because yeah. she's worshiping the Lord. That was one of the way for code I think that's one of what I was alluding to, too, because we also need to know how to speak into leaders within the, the youth. Absolutely. Also, and that time spent that asking questions, that's what I'll take back to yes. our junior high leaders. Absolutely. You've got, to, you've got to spend time with these. Absolutely. Not just on that Thursday or on that Sunday. And that's the investment. You know, yeah. we, we, we can't expect a withdrawal. We haven't made an investment, but we can't really call out things. I mean, obviously, we get words of wisdom, words of knowledge that the Lord will give us about people. Um, but you really can't call that thing out unless there's really good relational foundation there, too. So. And with junior high leaders, like even just saying, hey, um, I want to take your son or daughter out, or hey, do you mind if we can spend time with the whole family? Yeah. Right? Like, so having the, the leader come into the house of the junior hire and involve themselves and somehow with the, with participate with the family and not just always one on one, because I think that age is a little, uh, you know, risky. But uh, to say, hey, I want to join you guys. When you can, you guys get together after church at the park, when we meet up, and so you're able, the child or the young person can see that you're invested, and they're also able to, to see the dynamic of the family and kind of participate in that. Good. Cool. So people are getting out. Any last questions? It's okay, or you can stay after if you want. We'll be here for a few more minutes if you like. We'll do that. Sound good? Can I pray for you guys? Yeah. Right. Lord, thank you for um, this group of people who's here. Who's, uh, Lord, I think just by showing up, invested um, in their hearts, Lord, wanting, wanting to know what it takes to bring through a next generation that is passionate about you, Jesus, passionate about your church. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we, you, you give us or you entrust us with, whether it be children or young adults or even new Christians, God, that we know um, where we have a significant part to play in, in raising them up in the way they should go. Lord, we just pray, Father, that uh, we will not hold anything back from this next generation, that we won't dumb things down, and we won't, um, it's okay to simplify, but we, we will not have to water it down. We want them to have the fullness of who you are and experience the fullness of your kingdom and, and as it expresses even through the life of the church. Mm -hmm. I pray that uh, you will give us resources, spiritual resources, Lord, for those of us who have felt ill-equipped, mm -hmm. that supernaturally we will be equipped, Father, to raise up this next generation. Mm -hmm. But I pray that uh, you will give us faith to take risks, mm -hmm. uh, and even when it could be a little messy, God. You, you're, the early church was so messy, mm -hmm. <laughs> and church plants are so messy. Uh, Christians who are coming, you know, out of a sinful lifestyle looks really messy early on. But Lord, what we see prophetically, Lord, I pray we will continue to push towards that. We are so thankful that you have entrusted us with this next generation. Well, may we um, handle it accordingly. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it.